Hello, welcome to the Lit KC Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Pru. My guest today is the author, Adam Bucho Rodenberger. Adam and I spend a lot of time today talking about San Francisco, so you will have to deal with that. Apologies if you are not a fan of San Francisco. Today, I took a shower, but I did not wash my hair. I think I was pressed for time. That's why I decided not to do that. And now, in my head, ticking over and over and over again is the thought, Jason, you didn't wash your hair. Jason, you didn't wash your hair. All right, enough of that. Let's get to the interview. Adam Lucho Rodenberger. I mean, I'm not out to drink a bottle of whiskey, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I have yeah, before. But, but, <clears throat> but you know, you bring up, you're, you're working at the liquor store, and it made me think about one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Sure. Which ties into a blog post that you made in December about the potential of retirement. <laughs> it talks about what, you know, what I'm thinking about is you spend a lot of money to go to school. Yep. You're working now in a field that is roughly related to writing yeah it's nice i assume that you were in san francisco for how many years six years so you and went out there what in year? 2009 okay and, and then you had then a three-year program right it was a two and a half yeah two and a half year program so i graduated in december of 2011 and then from then on it was right 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 because i had all this free time now i've been in school for so I went back to school full time in two thousand four, and so then graduated in two thousand. So seven years full time of school, and working. Um, that's spring, summer, and fall semesters. Because yeah. uh, I didn't want to take any time off. Did you work full time through your MFA? I had a, I did. Yeah, I had a full time job during the MFA, and then I had multiple jobs during undergrad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty pretty standard. Was working through. I mean, you're a totally working class. Like, like oh, I yeah. have to put my shit. You wanted to do it so bad. That's. What, I mean, it, it. That's what turned me off. When it came time to do all this, was I didn't want to work, but I knew I would have to. There would be no other way around it. Uh, for whatever reason, I've always just had a work ethic. That's how my wife is. Yeah, she's just like I'm. I work my way through everything. And yeah. She still does that. You know, there's five jobs. I mean, I had to take out student loans. There was no way I was sure. paying for school. I mean, I'm. I'm sitting on like 120 grand worth of student loans. Which is still, like, I have no plan on ever paying those off. To piss you off? No. No? You just realize it's part of... I mean, it, it, if, if you sit there and you worry about it, you're like, yeah, I'm never going to pay these off. And so you end up stressing out. It's like, I don't have kids. I don't have family yeah. who's going to take this over. Like, I'm paying it off, but I'm probably going to die before that gets paid off. Let's be honest. <laughs> so, I don't, I, I'm not really worried about it. I mean, which sounds super cavalier, but... Well, I mean, if you're paying, what up? Yeah. I just, I, I have no illusions about what my financial future has in store. We'll put it that way. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that post that you made about retirement and the feasibility of it really Yeah. is, it's illusory. It's you know, very for much Not so. just you, but for, you just hit for the a lot of people. for a lot of people. For a I just lot read an article people. today, like 42% have less than 10000 in retirement. Yeah. Of people that are retirement age. I read an article today. Middle class is considered ninety six grand in San Francisco. 
like that's considered middle class there. And they can't afford to live, right? They're moving into dorms, aren't they? Like, you're talking about a whole working subsection of teachers who can't live in the city, so they all come in from out of the city to, to do their job. And it, it was pretty well that way when you were there, right? Oh, yeah. And it's only gotten worse. It's, it's only gotten you worse. You came back to KC in 2015? Uh-huh. And you're from here originally, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, born in Oklahoma, but we moved up here in 94. But, like, I'm essentially from here. Yeah. Like, who I am now is... For all intents and purposes, Casey, you helped shape you. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you... So I've read your short story collection. I didn't get much of a sense of Kansas City proper in there, but mm. I don't know if it was because mostly you may have been writing those while you were away. Yeah, those were all written in San Francisco. I don't know that I'm... I'm kind of weird in that I don't really... I don't really put a firm sense of place or time in a lot of my stories. Yeah. Um, I got chastised for that um, during grad school. They're like, you really need to be more specific about things. But I thought, like, well, sometimes a good story, in order for it to be timeless, just has to be without time. Yeah, it just kind of exists in its, it's own. Like, yeah, if you, can, if you can put yourself as the everyman in the story or your town as the every place in the story, then that's going to reach a broader audience. So why would I not want to do that? Yeah. You know, I could talk about Kansas City all day, which I love the city, but literarily, like, is it really going to matter if a story is told in Kansas City or Seattle or Neosho or wherever? Probably not. Yeah. Not unless you're talking about specific history of that city, and I just don't do historical fiction. So, Yeah. Yep, fair enough, man. Yeah, I was just curious how much, you know, living here, coming because I know you're really involved in the music scene here, too. Yeah. Doing DJing work. Yeah. And so I get a real sense of that. The, the sense of place there is actually pretty important for you. It is. Like the sense of community, the sense of, hey, these are my people in Kansas City that do this as well. Yeah. Because um, I've been doing that, let's see, I became a DJ in like 2001, um, so I, would, I had done it for eight or nine years by the time I left. Um, and then I was so focused on grad school when I got out to San Francisco. I met, uh, before I moved out to San Francisco, I, I had tried to connect with a lot of the music scene out there. Um, and I got, I got to be pretty good friends with a lot of other DJs out there. But I never really played any gigs yeah. out there. Um, and it wasn't until maybe my last year uh, where my smaller group of friends out there had bought me a little DJ controller to, to actually make some mixes with. And so since then, I think I've made like 55 mixes. Yeah. It's, it's been weird. It's just kind of like this musical money shot since getting the, since getting the, the controller. So, which has been good, but yeah, this is definitely more of a, a musical, home base for me I guess would, yeah. would be a good way of putting yeah, and it, it scratches another itch for you too yeah you know you and I are both huge music fans that's how we actually yeah. anywhere else yeah because I think that's probably most of the people in the world nowadays but yeah and I I really don't go out much anymore either like even before I got picked up the second job um if I'm not DJing or or like if a friend from out of town is not DJing in town I'm typically not going out yeah um just to like save money or you know like I'd try to finish up the second book or try to finish up the third book or whatever like there were a couple of deaths that happened um, not long after I came back into town which put into perspective like both connecting with people 
during my first year here and getting work done. Like, you know, trying to find that balance of like spending the quality time with the people that I moved back to see and then finishing the work that is going to be left Put all that effort into <laughs> when when I eventually kick the bucket myself. Yeah, so... Um, oh, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this series was to talk to people that I don't that I want to talk to. Yeah, and I don't get to see as much as I'd really like to. You know, it's just I'm making time for that and hopefully sharing what I love about all these folks with everybody else. Yeah. Um, so your book came out December 2016. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, New Year's Eve. And so rough year. How's it been? <laughs> Uh, um, is it selling? Are people talking about that shit? Uh, if they're talking about it, I'm not seeing it. So you're not seeing much reviews put up anywhere? No. Nope. Um, I've got a couple of uh, literature journals that I'm going to submit the book to to see if they'll review it. Of course, the caveat is sometimes they don't want self-published books because yeah. there's still the stigma, rightly so, of you know having a book that's just poorly edited or poorly written, whatever. So that's hard to fight against. Um, Did you ever consider in that whole process of actually setting up your own publishing company as just to get around that? No. To say, look, I published this. It's a company. <laughs> no, because, the, I mean, with enough you know, education, somebody could go, oh, well, he just created yeah, a Yeah, they'll publisher. know. They'll know. They'll know. And, I mean, really, you just have to read the book. Or, But I think there's some legitimacy to the way I went about it because I wanted to publish the stories first through yeah. other avenues. You got them all so out like in journals. So. 15 of the 16 stories were published right. elsewhere. You know, enough people liked them. Um, you would think that would give it some credence to publishers, but a lot of people just weren't having it. I think I shopped it to 30 agents and maybe 40 different publishing houses, and nobody was like, mm-mm, yeah, we're good. Not even a maybe, let's talk a little bit? No. No shit. No. Did no, you go to any uh, any, like, Local conferences or anything like that where you can meet face to face with an agent? Uh, no. Or all via. It was like it was all or, via email. Yeah. I mean, because it was especially during the San Francisco time too. I was trying to sell it. Um, I was just heavy into like looking for the agents, looking for somebody to just pick it up. Um, you still looking for agents? No. <laughs> You've given up, or just said I'm taking a break? Pretty much, just giving up on it. Um, Don't give up. Boo. I mean, I'm not giving up on. <laughs> I'm not giving up on the prospect of, of publishing things, but sure. my, again, it goes back to the topic of retirement. Like, m- my idea of what, how do I word this? Um, I have no illusions about, I, th- I think that after a lot of internal debate, the self-publishing route was probably the best way for me, because what I'm doing now is I'm able to put the stories in the book the way that I want the stories to be told. Um, I'm having friends do the cover art. I was going to so, say, you get to design the whole damn thing. I it, mean, from top to bottom, it, it's, it's... There's something pretty liberating about all that. It's fantastic. The The problem, of course, is that you know I've got no PR firm behind me who is yeah. pushing it out into other avenues that I don't have any hands in. So that can be frustrating. Most of the small publishers that I know, that's the same boat they're in. Yeah. They can make books and make good books yeah. like all day long, but getting the word out is where it's always like, that's where the... The money comes in. Yeah, and it's like a record. I mean, publishing houses are like record labels. You know, you could look at, you know, like let's say Blue Note. Like the Blue Note, literally for me, would be like Farrar, Strauss, and FSG. You know, like they they put out nothing but quality for many years. Two Dollar Radio is a small print. They do the same thing. They put out 
tons of really good literature um, by really great authors. Um, it's just hard to get in there with so many people writing all the time. So it's tough, man. Yeah, and you know it's a tough to make a living. In addition, to, if you're not teaching, Mm-mm. even that you're not making much. You're making much. Yeah. Man. Although apparently, if you have a gun. They will pay you a bonus. So there's something. We'll get licensed. <laughs> put in your application. <laughs> You're ready, man. Just come, come strapped. What do you mean you didn't do your geography homework, Billy? <laughs> God damn. Something else that's missing from your stories, and maybe they're not missing that I'm missing it, is you're a political beast. I am. Like you're really pissed off right now. <laughs> yeah. And that seems to be absent from. And maybe it's not totally absent, but for the most part, it's it's very well buried. No, it's uh, yeah, that's intentional. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of politics in my story. I try not like I try to keep my. I wouldn't say I try to keep my creative life separate from my political life, but again, it kind of goes back to the everyman situation. Like, there's I mean, there are certain beliefs that I hold that do come across in the stories, you know, like how people should act or how whatever. Um, well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of aesthetic, ethical, yeah. there's a lot of philosophy behind it. Yeah. But I don't see a lot of, like, I'm, and that's not bad or good. No, no, no. It's just, it surprises me, knowing you like I do, and reading you often yeah. as, this is Adam the person talking, versus... It's, Bucho, the writer, crafting these <laughs> stories that are surreal and out there and whack. It's it's intentional, um, and I keep my Twitter the same way for the yeah. most part. You know, like I don't want to, despite what I may th- believe in politically. Like I don't want to necessarily shun anybody because of their political beliefs. Yeah. Like I don't want my beliefs to keep somebody from writing or reading my stuff if they're going to end up enjoying it. Like regardless of where they sit on the political spectrum. Um, but I also, a lot of it stems from, like, I ended up, after a bad breakup many years ago, using my writing as a weapon, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, just being very vindictive and, and venomous. And um, when I finally came out of that, that red haze, I was like, Jesus, I was an asshole. Yeah, I'd love to sour taste. Oh, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I hated the person I became. And so... I made a very conscious effort, and I think this is probably the biggest factor of like why I write such weird stuff, like stuff that is not super normal. Um, I, I just wanted to separate my personal life from the writing as yeah. much as possible, and just focus, make the writing the focus as opposed to anything dealing with me. There's plenty of me on the page. There are a couple of very personal stories in the new collection coming out. Um, but unless you knew my personal life, you wouldn't... Never pick up on it? No. Yeah. Let's talk so. about the new stuff. What's coming out? What you working on? So the next book is called The Machinery of the Heart Love Stories. Uh, they're not love stories like typical love stories, like love of objects, love of ideas, love of you know obsessions or whatever. Um, those were a lot of fun. There's a lot more realism in that collection, uh, but still plenty of weirdness. Plenty of weirdness. How many stories are in this one? 21, I think. And then I've got about 25 slated for the book after that called Under a Black Excellent. Rainbow, uh, which is 
I'm likening that to kind of the love child of Guillermo del Toro, uh, Kafka, and David Lynch. Man, it's You're just hitting on all cylinders. <laughs> it's it's yeah. weird. It's it's weird for me, even me. So, which is good. I like it. So, of those stories in the second collection, how many have you actually got out into the world already? Uh, I think all but four or five. Yeah, it's about seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. I don't, I don't disagree with the way you're approaching this at all. They're out there. Yeah, and if you know the the time to wait for someone to collect them. Like they're out. I'm just gonna do it myself. Well, and you know, and that's the thing. Like, so part of the process is me spending an entire Saturday, like going, like I've kept and I keep adding to a list of places to public, like send my stories out to. Like I've, I'm recent. I'm now updating all of the dates and all of the submission deadlines for all of them because they've changed in five, six years. Yeah. Which has been a huge pain in the ass. Um, but I'll sit there for an entire day and I will go through all of the places I could submit to between now and, you know, let's say next weekend and see who's still open, check to see what the word count is. And, I mean, like Saturday I sent out, I think, 80 submissions. Motherfucker. I don't know, but I have to do that every couple of weeks. You submit to places that charge? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. I got over that real quick. Yeah. I mean, you have to. Do you submit your stuff to contests? Mm, a couple. Yep. Um, I've not had any luck whatsoever um, for any of the contests, but you know that's how that goes. It's not like they're taking the top twenty stories or anything. So <laughs> I'll can submit be only one man. It's a Highlander type situation, right? I uh, typically I'll try to submit to places where the, I think the judges have uh, where I have the same kind of aesthetic as the right. judges do. Um, like I recently submitted to the Masters Review, which is a, a yearly one that I do, um, because Brian Evanson was the judge. Excellent. Um, so you've probably read some of his stuff. Now, did was he one of your professors? Professors? No. Who am I thinking of? Uh, you're Josh? thinking of Josh Moore. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Who will actually be in town doing stuff at the Kansas City Public Library in September? Excellent. For like a week. So we will make sure we note that because that's something to catch. Yeah, he would writer. he would be a fun one to to interview. Um, super nice dude, um, falling on some very very excellent fortune with his writing and a couple of other projects I can't talk about. That's good. Though, uh, though no, it's fantastic. Yeah, um, it would be one thing if he were an asshole, but he's not. Yeah, you could always have like a yeah. <laughs> I feel that way about even folks that I'm like yeah you're kind of a schmuck, but I don't know I just want anybody. Like, succeed, man. If you're making things and people are accepting it for whatever, yeah, like, good for you, because it's hard. Well, you know, when I first, when I was looking into grad schools, I kept coming across these articles, like, are these, you know, is, is an MFA program a good place for a writer to go? Because you get this weird kind of combative nature from other writers. I never personally saw it, or maybe I just chose not to see it. But at this point, I mean, even if it's somebody's book who I will never read, you know, like if, if it's like a nonfiction book about death and loss, like that's not going to be my thing, as weird as that sounds, considering a lot of the topics I write about. Um, but I'll hype the shit out of their book yeah. because we went through the same literary boot camp together and you can never tell what, you don't know what the public is going to latch on to. 
Who knew Fifty Shades of Grey, with as piss poor as the writing is, was going to be a multi-billion dollar thing? Yeah. So I don't disparage anybody. I'll I'll help anybody out in any way I can. Like I'll yeah. hype it on the blog. I'll hype it on Facebook. Whatever. Because um, you don't know what people are going to like. So why fight it? Why be a dick about it? Yeah, I think there's a there's a legitimate place for being critical. Yeah. But there's also like, don't be a hater. Yeah. I'm telling you, if you can succeed, man, I got all. <laughs> You know, I'm really pulling for you in this yeah. in the way that you're trying to go about it. Well, because I don't see enough of it from folks that are, especially doing short stories. Like, yeah, you've written an, a novel or two, I know that, mm-hmm. but you're not really pursuing those. I will after this third collection is done. I need to focus on getting yeah. one of them finished. Um, but yeah, I, you know, like Jeanette Powers, who you know, I know, phenomenal person. I am reading her manuscript now, and there are parts of it that are fucking amazing. Yeah. And I told her, I was like, hey, this is great, but here are some things that need to be changed. And I'm like, I don't want you to think that's me being hypercritical. Um, just I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I want this to be as good as it could possibly be. So if I'm having issues with these, you may want to give them a second look. Like, that's how you approach being critical. With, with There's a place for it. There's a place for it. You know, it's not, it's, uh, it's not some just being bitchy. It's like, <laughs> hey, I'm going to try to help you. There are some people who will be petty with that shit. Yeah. And I... I can't abide those people. I don't understand why you would do that. There's Did a way to you, do it. So you're in when you went through your MFA, it was a pretty cohesive and you felt I mean, you didn't get a lot of that infighting that no. oftentimes you will hear. I never saw it. I might have been in the wrong classes, uh, or the wor- the wrong workshops. So you were in or, the right ones, man. If you went through with smooth sailing, that's good. I, yeah, I mean I wouldn't say it was smooth sailing. Most of my workshops were <laughs> were pretty brutal. Uh because my stuff, again, was pretty out there. Yeah. Um, but I also like having my stuff torn apart. I'd rather hear what's not working than what is. So were you the only one in those workshops that was working in a surrealist vein? Was most of it pretty straightforward lit fiction? or mm, No. Not necessarily? All right, I'm just curious. Not necessarily. Um, I'm trying to think. A lot of them were definitely more, more traditional realism, but there were some... There were some people who were coming up in the later classes who were definitely trying to push some boundaries. Cool. I didn't get to read a lot of their stuff, but I remember hearing the, the premises for them, and yeah, yeah, pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, I think that's that's fascinating how that might work in a in a workshop environment where you're coming in, you're young, you just got these crazy ass ideas about what a story <laughs> or a book can do. <laughs> Teachers like slow your roll, <laughs> so. <laughs> So I had this, I've got this one book called Impasto. Yeah, and it, that I was read my, an early version of that. That was my master's thesis. And so the first workshop I had where, I mean, you know, where you're talking about a robbery from an art museum where you turn actual literal paintings into characters, you know, you get your first batch of comments from the class. You're like, oh, is this going to be bad? Is this going to be bad? Are they going to compare it to Harry Potter? Please don't compare it to Harry <laughs> oh, Potter because that's totally not what I want to hear. <laughs> And then, you know, one of them inevitably said something about Harry Potter. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But then everybody, like, overwhelmingly it got pretty good pretty good comments, which was nice. At least conceptually. People liked the idea. There wasn't a lot of stuff that landed, which is fine. But conceptually, people really enjoyed the idea of it. So, Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good thing to hear. Yeah. For anyone who's listening to think, hey, should I do this or not? You're someone yeah. that went through that process and had a pretty good success. Yeah. 
you know um yeah there's a lot of folks that i think do and for meeting people you know you get a good network of your teachers yeah the fellow students who are now going on to do other other things and you're like yeah these are people that you know i studied with or my peers yeah that's pretty slick it's nice i mean just being in the creative orbit of a whole bunch of other people like that for two and a half years is really nice and then when you are... You ever fine. stop to think about how incredibly lucky... Like, you paid for it. Oh, I definitely paid for it. How incredibly lucky that is. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a fantastic experience. Yeah. I wish more people had that kind of experience. Not just because of... I mean, certainly not because of what they would have to pay for it, but just being able to... I mean, I would have, you know, weekend writing sessions with people. Like, we'd call each other up and we'd meet at somebody's house and just write for hours. They'd work on their stuff, I'd work on my stuff, we'd make coffee, we'd have cigarettes, whatever, and then after like two hours of just writing on our own stuff, we'd swap it out and get ideas. And Oh, that's pretty neat. It's fantastic. It's so essential. With you people know. you trust. Like, this. Oh, yeah. Cool, you know? Absolutely. So now that you're back in KC, been here almost three years, right? You came back summer of 2015? Yep. 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 What are you going to do in this city, man? You've come back. You've got a master class education. <laughs> now, I know you're working your ass off. Yeah. And that makes it difficult to really, like, hey, I'm doing something in the Kansas City literary scene. Yeah. You know, you're writing. You're making books. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the weird thing, like, trying to find, again, trying to find the balance um, between, you know, renegotiating those friendships or, you know, reconnecting with, with old people. Uh, being back in the music scene again, which is nice because that's a, a good release. And then finding time to let my brain breathe a little bit. Like there are, I don't know, there's not enough time in the day for me to do everything that I Shit, want to. No kidding, man. Yeah, I mean, you've got kids, so you totally get it. Um, it's it's tough finding the balance. I, I, I have not read a book in I don't know how long. The whole place is covered in you books. You can stop reading Familiar. I just heard they're not, it's done. What? Yeah, Pantheon said they just, they're not making enough money off of it. So season one is all we get, buddy. All right. So <laughs> I guess I'll stop at those first five then. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, now I'm kind of ruined by that. Don't be too bummed. Did you get to five yet? No. <laughs> it's a good wrap-up. Is it? Yeah, it's right. a good wrap-up. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just keep buying books, but I just haven't had the time to, to read everything that I want to, which I think is also part of the reason I'm not writing right now. Does your job, your day job, keep you pretty busy, like, straight through? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's been wild. Um, I got promoted last February to senior content editor, which comes with its own set of dumpster fires. To, I'm sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> my email inbox before was like three emails a day, and now it's like a hundred emails a day, and it's all from people way outside the company, and it's trying to facilitate. Like, I, I think of myself as more like air traffic control for my editors. Like, I'm making sure the Mickey Mouse shit doesn't go on their desk so they can just focus on editing, and which they may have to take on more at some point because I'm slowly losing my mind. Delicate. You're a senior. Yeah. But this is the job that I signed up for, so I can't really complain too much. It's the job I wanted when I was in San Francisco and just couldn't get 
interviewed for. So, why? What's the diff? Mm. Too many other people competing? Uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, my idea would be, I mean, you're talking about a city that's seven square miles by seven square miles, and you're talking about a city that draws in some of the smartest, brightest, talented people across the country. Across all like the world spectrum, yeah, you know what I mean. Not just the tech hub that's there, but it's it, everybody. Their lit scene is yeah. crazy. Lit the oh, the literary it's crazy. scene there is wild. You know, I yeah. grew up. Well, I say I grew up. I spent <clears throat> three years. My dad was in the military, and we lived in Alameda. That's where we were stationed. Oh yeah. So we would hop to Bart and go to San Francisco all the time. But I mean, like that. When you said you were going to SFSU, I was like, oh. I'm going to totally live vicariously through you. So I paid really close attention to how that worked out because that was a dream. Yeah. You know, it's a really good school and a really great city. It's kind of getting fucked up. Yeah. Um, but I, I often wonder about how folks who aren't involved in the tech industry, you know, I have a friend out there who's an architect, and that makes sense. Okay, you can yeah. make a living. Mm-hmm. But if you're not in technology, what are you doing, you know? You live outside the city, or you are living in rent-controlled housing that your family's lived in for 20, 30 years, or you live with, like, eight other people. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me why you moved back here in more than one reason. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you have a lot to bring to KC in terms of, you know, you're someone that's gone through a program, and you benefited immensely from it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So either hosting a reading or doing some kind of series where you're bringing in the folks that you know to the city. Like yeah. that's. I would like to get more involved. Something I, I'm saying, like, I, we need it, man. <laughs> like, there's a lot of good readers coming through here. A yeah. lot of good authors that come through Kansas City. Um, but with your sensibilities, I don't see as many as I would like. Sure. You know, like, I feel like you and I have the same sort of we really like the same types of literature. Yeah. Um, and that's why I like your book so much. And I tell anyone who is even remotely interested, it's really, this is the, read it. <laughs> read it. Just, I know you never heard of it. Read it. Yeah. <laughs> he lives here. <laughs> yeah, I keep meaning to buy copies so I can go into Prospero's and hopefully like do a consignment thing. You know. Yeah, they'll be happy to help you out. Sure. And that's just one of the few places I think. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know how a lot of the other bookstores in town. Like, I don't know how Rainy Day works with stuff that isn't, you know, published. By right. Them. Again, and that's one of those pitfalls. Like, oh, yeah. you're self-published. Congratulations. Yeah, we'll put you on the pile. Right. Like, cool. So this is gonna be an unedited piece of garbage. So. Is your book? Did you make it digitally available? Uh, I did for a while, and then I kept finding the digital copies pop up on other sites. <laughs> Didn't take long, did it? I think the, they must have bots that just scroll that and scrape them. Man, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'm sure those people are not actually reading them. You know, they're just downloading copies it. of it and whatever. Yeah. But, like, the counter next to some of those, it was like 9,000 copies. I was like, really? Like, that would have been cool if I could have been paid for that. Wow. I don't know. Wow, that's some pretty know. big fucking numbers. I know. <laughs> I know. But, I mean, so that's why I don't offer it up in, in digital format anymore. Well, man, on the plus side, you got 9,000 people maybe just reading that book. I mean, let's hope so. <laughs> let's hope they're there for the second book. I'm not holding any hope, but, yeah, we'll see what happens. So what's your timeline for number two? Uh, Well, so 
Um, I'm working on the cover now. I can actually kind of show you basic ideas of the cover. Um, I honestly don't know. You don't have a clue? Before uh, the end of the year? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. It'll probably be by the end of the summer. At least by then. Yeah. Um, I was hoping to... <laughs> so, have you ever seen the 19 Crimes wine bottle? No. Okay. So, I think I've got one here. Uh, all right. So, check that out. So, what you see there... Um, yeah, we're kind of looking at a wanted poster. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an app uh, that you use, and when you use the app on the label, the label comes to life. It's called augmented reality. More Harry Potter shit, man. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted to do is because the the uh, main image of, of the new cover is this strange retro-looking um, art deco mannequin that my friend Devin made and altered. I wanted her to come to life and read passages from the female perspective of parts of my book. Interesting. However, it's crazy expensive, um, and it's just not feasible. Do you have to pay by... Oh, by the month. Oh. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure, that's... Yeah. So, uh, that's what I wanted to do, but that's not going to be a thing. So, um, yeah. So, back to the old drawing board? Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be a regular cover at this point, but... That's fine. I don't know, maybe a one-month special. Is maybe. still even that cost-prohibitive? Possibly, yeah. Know. She is in San Francisco, my friend. Uh, are we still... I'm back on. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, I was going to tell a story, but I can't really tell that one. Don't want to record it, man. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, so my friend Devin found that. Um, I don't know where he found it, um, but he basically um, drilled a bunch of holes in the front and then cut out the back of it and created this light and fog skeleton to go inside of her. Wow. So that she lights up and she's just covered in fog. Like a little... Uh, it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. that's really slick. Um, so as soon as I saw her, I was like, that needs to be the cover of the book. Like and almost immediately. with the keys and the gears, you <clears throat> did a little collage with it? I was going to do a collage with it and then assuming the augmented reality thing was going to work, like have the gears move, yeah. you know, like... So, yeah. There'll be other stuff happening, I'm sure. Uh, and the guy, Rob, that helps me do the covers of the books, he's always got good ideas, too. How to make things, yeah. Yeah. So I let him... I, get, I tell him what I'm kind of thinking of, and then he'll read some of the stories, and he'll get an idea of, of something else. I'm like, so tell me what you came up with. you know. And so I like the, I like the give and take of that. Have somehow, you ever done a work that was illustrated? No. You should totally talk to some of these cats and just say, look, let's just do, you know, every other page or something. Give me a nice choose your own adventure or, you know, something <laughs> like just a full page pencil. That could be fun. Pen and ink. It's like for, in that kind of situation, it's hard to figure out like how much to pay those people. Oh man, that's always the eternal struggle because, of. Because you want to pay them what they're worth. You want to like, give it to I'm, them. like, man, I'm, I can't afford you. <laughs> I'm, I'm super anal about like, I want to make sure people are paid for their time, for their, for their work. Um, and in that situation, like, how do you tell somebody? It's like, yeah, man, I sold 500 copies of the book. And then, then look at you, like, cool. Yeah, they gave like, me $50. Right. Like, are they going to get, you know, feel like they've been screwed out of something at that point? You don't want that to be a thing. And then you ruin the relationship. And then it gets all 
Jeanette and I have a book coming out, and it's a collab like that. She illustrated one of my poems. Yep. And I basically just like, look, I'll take the smaller amount. You have done the bulk of the work on it. I mean, <laughs> drawing is, I think, for me, just because I can't draw. Yeah. I can't paint. I can't do any sort of visual I niceties. Do, so. I can do collage, but I can't draw. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm messing with a bunch of random. Yeah. So, like, this is also what I'm doing. <laughs> so yeah, there's a bunch. I mean, this is this is fun collage. Yeah. Do you know James McNamara? Mm, the name sounds familiar, but I don't think that he's I've... a poet, writer, activist around town here. But he does a lot of really interesting collage as well, with you know blending image word. Yeah, these are cool, man. <laughs> Nothing to do seriously, just you know something fun to do, like put on. Well, again, it's another way it's to another scratch way. an itch that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of writers have that that visual itch. Yep. And we can scratch it by <clears throat> writing our asses off, but sometimes even that is like it's just not working the way I want. No. I, and there's no way you could write a collage. No. In a, in a way that's meaningful and like gets right. the same effect, you know? Like stories are intentional. Making a DJ mix is intentional. Doing a collage is like playing hide-and-seek. It's a lot more intuitive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something completely different. And yeah, it does scratch a, you know, a certain kind of itch. Um, but I've also, like, I just really like art, too. Um, yeah, I see you have a, an old royal typewriter. Uh-huh. I've got, is, uh, I, I am, I'm a cliche, just like many of us. That's right, I got one, too. <laughs> Almost the same. What year is that one? I have no idea. My stepmother gave me that one. I've got one from 36, but it's pretty close to the same. Yeah. I think the difference in mine is I've got one that would have let you change. Oh, no, you've got that the ink colors. Yep. Hmm. So that's what that is. That lets yep. you, there's a three-tone ink cartridge that you can buy for red, oh. black, and then... Uh, Obviously, I use it for typing. Lighting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the, uh, the quill and ink is actually the, the inkwell and the feather are from my friend Rob, who does my covers. He had that at his wedding a few years back. And so um, while we were working on the book cover, uh, he and his wife were, I think they were cleaning out their house, and they found that, and they were just like, here you go. Like, this would be a rad thing for you to own because you're a writer, and it makes sense. So, yeah. So where did you grow up in the city? Lenexa. The yeah. bad, bad part of town, obviously. It's rough. Yeah. Rough, and tough. rough streets of Lenexa. Uh, 79th and Renner, back when nothing was out there. It was just all field. That's pretty far out, really. Yeah. And now it's unrecognizable. Yeah. When I moved here, let's see, I moved to Kansas City in 93, 92. So not too far before me. And yeah, we were at 151st in Black Bob. Jesus. And our neighborhood was like the the perimeter, mm -hmm. south perimeter of Olathe. And, uh, yeah, it's changed beyond <laughs> recognition since then. And, I mean, that was, yeah, a long time, 26 years ago. Yeah. And I've tried to get away time and time again, but I've always come back. And then it's like, this is home. You know, we like it here. Yeah. I want to, like, I honestly figured that I would be out in California for 15 years. Yeah. You know, I had this idea, like, well, so I lived in Oklahoma for 15 years, I lived here for 15 years. Yeah, I could live in San Francisco for 15 years. That'd be nice. Uh, that was just not going to be a thing. There's plenty to like out there. 
plenty to like, just like the Litquake uh, events. I mean, like you were saying, that town just, pff, it's engorged with literature. I mean, it's it's it is it's, it's amazing, a, and the the history there of literature, mm -hmm. you know, with city lights. I mean, it's yeah, it's massive, and uh, all the writers from the beat generation that moved out that yeah. way, and I just feel like the whole <clears throat> scene there has changed to a degree where I'm. I know writers there now, and you probably know them too that are just like, this is not. It's, you know, it's are they considering leaving? I mean, you probably have people on the ground there. Um. I know a lot of the people that I went to school with have all left. Have uh, they gone back home? Like you kind of came back home. And some of them, some here. of them have gone back home. Others have moved to different parts of the Bay Area. Gotcha. Uh, my friend Surya, who wrote the foreword for my my first book, um, he and his family moved up to Napa um, shortly after graduation, and now I guess they live further east. But he's also been debating moving back to L.A. where his family's at. Yeah. Um, his father passed recently, so... You had any success in recruiting people to come to KC? No. <laughs> See our cost of living? <laughs> our uh, fantastic public transportation? No. Uh, no. That's... Nobody... That I mean, that's one of those weird things. Were there any other Midwesterners out there with you? Oh, sure. Yeah? Oh, yeah. There were a lot of... Like, not only in the program, but in San Francisco in general, there were a lot of people from Ohio... Specifically Columbus. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically Columbus, Ohio. Is that a lifeline? Like, come on out. You got people from Ohio. Let's see. There was, there were a few people from Pittsburgh, a um, couple from Indiana. A lot of them actually from California already. Yeah. Uh, but that's not surprising. Not San Francisco, California, but just California in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were yeah, Vegas. If you if your family hadn't been from here, would you have come back? Like, what, say you had moved here for an undergrad, and what was the compelling reason outside of this was familiar to come back to KC after that? Um, so there were a few reasons. One was uh, being closer to family because yeah. I've got two young nieces who I like to. You have uh, siblings? Yeah, so you got oh, nieces. I've got you got five, five brothers yeah. and sisters. Yeah, um, they all live in different parts of the country. Um, but I've got the two nieces who I like to be weird Uncle Bucho for. Um, I got them onesies one year, and they, we basically made them go put them on for Christmas. They didn't realize that I also had one. And so, like, when they came out, they were kind of like, these are pretty not cool. And then they saw me wearing one, they're like, oh, maybe these are okay. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. Um so getting to spend more time with them is always always a good time, um, and then the the family that comes with all the friends, you know yeah. the the friendships that you've built up over the years. Those, I mean, without my friend Sarah, there was no way I was making it back, because um, I ended up. She had created a GoFundMe account, uh, unbeknownst to me. For, yeah, to help you move, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, like I'd been talking about moving back for a couple of years and so I was trying to figure out a way to do it but saving money is pretty much impossible out there so I was home I think for I think I was home for Thanksgiving in maybe 2014 maybe it was the summer she was like can I please make this public now can I please make this public now I was like fine fuck it um, and so I mean against my pride 
Um, I put it up and yeah, amazingly had a huge, uh, huge outpouring of support, which was really nice. I know I wanted you back, man. Just because you want assets, like you want yeah. people that come back and they are into this shit you're in, and they, yeah. you are an asset to the city. You know, it's nice. It's nice to have that. So one thing I want to ask you about too before we wrap this up, is yeah. your Mantha brand. <laughs> uh, this is a weird one. So yeah, man, what's up with with the Mantha? I mean, it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but I gotta know. So I have, I, I think I've become enamored by the idea of having personas, like creating a mythos, right? So for the longest time it was Bucho. Like I had friends I'd known for 10 years who didn't know my real name. I didn't know your real name, I think, until 2008. <laughs> so right. It's like five and, years after I knew And there's name. something kind of really entertaining about that, <laughs> right? Um, but Bucho is essentially who I am, like writer, DJ, pervert, whatever. So, we had, I was in San Francisco at this time, my friend Mackenzie's birthday, uh, every year for her birthday we would rent, get an Airbnb, and it would be like a huge party weekend, somewhere up the, the coast of California. Um, and this particular place, I don't remember the name of the town, but the house was owned by uh, some very serious folks from Burning Man. So their living room, not only did it have couches, but it also had trapezes. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. It was a wild house. And so they had this huge linen closet next to the bathroom, and we saw that there were only two pink robes. And my friend Devin and I, it's funny, the picture just popped up yesterday, too, on Facebook. Um, so Devin and I grabbed the robes, because we're guys, we're going to wear pink robes, that's what we're going to do. And uh, my friend Devin, same guy, uh, ended up getting this picture of me wearing a like a weird fedora and holding a bottle of scotch with this really creepy like I'm here for your daughter look <laughs> right and it was just picture perfect and so the door guy of my building in San Francisco at that time um, I was friends with him on Facebook he saw it and he's like oh my god you're the pink manther the pink manther and it just stuck and it became a thing. And so <laughs> so he, the, the Pink Manther, is certainly more of a... <sighs> i got to be careful how I word this because I don't want to offend people because that's not the point. He sounds misogynistic, but he's more sex positive, if that makes sense. Like, you will never hear him call someone a slut in any serious manner. It's like, your body, you do what you want with it. Right, and he—he's just kind of—it's like the dude on—it's like the Lebowski meets Larry Flint. I mean, that's probably the best way I could right. describe that at the moment, and I still think that's super what? inappropriate. What? <laughs> what made you decide to brand? <laughs> well, because it like it had just be kind of it had kind of become this this whole thing like it, it just, is a thing it just steamrolled yeah. into something i was like oh shit this is something now all right and <laughs> i mean for folks you can't he's wearing a manther hoodie <laughs> there's the picture and, oh yeah damn yeah that's <clears throat> some movement was born yeah um so i had always thought about like manther brand wear it would be super entertaining for me personally like i don't care if anybody else buys it it's entertaining for me 
and my friend Stacia, who used to run um, a t-shirt printing shop down in Westport. I don't remember the name of it, um, but she moved to Tulsa a few years back, and so now she runs Mom's Creative, which is the same kind of place. But she was visiting town, and we were out at the pool. She's like, Boutrec, you know, we can make Manther t-shirts. I was like, really? Because I don't have any, like, I don't have a logo or anything. She's like, well, I'll take care of the logo. I was like, okay. So, yeah, so first there were t-shirts. Uh, then there were tank tops. And I'm wearing the hoodie now. Um, I have a gray winter cap. I've got ballpark shirts, like <laughs> baseball shirts. And then there are also uh, men's Speedos that say property of Manther on the ass of them. So, yeah. <laughs> Keep going with it, man. I just had to ask. Like, I couldn't let it. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to have, I'm, I'm slowly working on a book for that, too, called Mantherisms. Because I've got like a hundred Mantherisms, like how to live. The book is going to be called Mantherisms, Living the Immoral Life in a Moral Way. That's what we needed to hear. Yeah. That's, that's probably what we needed to hear. That's probably the best way of describing yeah. the manther. Living an immoral life in a, in moral, a moral way. way. Yeah. Without shitting all over people. Because there's no need for that. You can get freaky deaky. Yeah, absolutely. Without hurting people. Consent is sexy. Yep. So, before I let you go, sure. tell the people where they can find you. Where they can find me. Uh, well, how soon is this going up online? Uh, two weeks to a month, probably. Two weeks to a month. All right. Um, I would say, for now, you can find me on Amazon. Um, Scaring the Stars into Submission. Uh, it's and that's be- Adam Rodenberger. R-O-D-E-N-B-E-R-G-E-R. Um, you can search for Adam Bucho Rodenberger um, and find some of the places that I've been published at. What's your Twitter handle? Author Booch. B-U-C-H? A- yep, A-U-T-H-O-R-B-U-C-H. Um, and then... Instagram, you're at The Real Pink Manther, is that right? <laughs> the Real Pink Manther, yep. Okay. yep. And then um, for my DJ mixes... That would be mixcloud.com slash bucho slash uploads. And are you still maintaining the blog? Uh, it's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit, but that's All right. fine. All right. Well, I, won't, I won't pimp it out here. <laughs> Although there's a lot of good stuff there. Triphopperseed.blogspot.com. T-R-I-P-H-O-P-R-I-S-Y? Yep. .blogspot.com. Yep. All right. Hey, thanks, Booch. Thank you, sir. That was Adam Rodenberger. You can buy his debut short story collection, Scaring the Stars into Submission, at Amazon.com. Or you can contact him, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, MySpace, Friendster, AOL Chat. He's all over the place. If you like weird fiction, you're going to like his book. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Adam for spending time with me. Thanks to Is You Is or Is You Ain't for the music. And folks, wash your hair. Don't skip doing the things you like just to save a couple minutes. Because it haunts you all the rest of the day.